to your word. Because you have spoken, because you have spoken, it is so. Because it is who you are. Because your word comes from you, it is so. Because it's anchored in you, it's who you are. And so we receive all that you say. Because our hope is in you. Our hope is in you. We adore you. We worship you. We acknowledge your greatness this morning. Great are you, Lord, and greatly, greatly to be praised. In your great name we pray. And all God's people said together, amen. 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 Before you are seated, uh, the children would be dismissed from kindergarten through sixth grade. But before you're seated, if you would open a Bible, if you have one, to the book of Exodus, second book of the Bible, to Exodus chapter 3. Exodus chapter 3, I want to read uh, from verses, uh, from verse 13 through verse 15. Exodus chapter 3, verses 13 through 15. says this, Moses said to God, suppose I go to the Israelites and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you. And they ask me, what is his name? Then what shall I tell them? And God said to Moses, I am who I am. This is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. And God also said to Moses, say to the Israelites, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever, the name by which I am to be remembered from generation to generation. May the Lord add his blessing this morning to the reading of his word. You may be seated and you can keep a Bible open to Exodus 3 or on your phone to Exodus 3 as we will look this morning in this series that we have uh, been on, on lifting up our low view of God, uh, following kind of the inspiration of the book, The Knowledge of the Holy from A.W. Tozer, talking about a high view of God and a low view of God. If we have a a low view of God, our worship's going to to kind of fall flat. Uh, We're going to grow kind of apathetic. Uh, disobedience begins to be a fruit of that as we just begin, as we have this view of God that's been brought lower than who he is. But as we have a high view of God, and, and really a high view of God is an accurate biblical view of God where we begin to see him for who he is, our worship will increase, our love for him will increase, our desire to obey will increase, we'll stand in awe and wonder of him. And so we've been in this series on lifting up our low view of God, looking at the various attributes of God. And so today we look at the self-existence of God, the self-existence of God. And so as we would look into this topic this morning, I want to begin with uh, the great existential question upon which all of life hangs. And it's be up here on the screen and it is this. Which came first, the chicken or the egg? This is the great existential question, isn't it? On which all of life hangs. Which came first, the chicken or the egg? Now, 
Obviously, this isn't the great existential question of life, but it is a question that, that baffles humanity because it's a question of origin. This question is a question of origin. Which came first, the chicken or the egg? It's a question of origin. Tozer, in the knowledge of the holy, says this. <clears throat> he says, God, though, has no origin, as he quotes Novation. And it's precisely this concept of no origin which distinguishes that which is God from whatever is not God. Origin is a word that can apply only to things created. And when we think of anything that has origin, we are not thinking of God. God is self-existent, while all created things necessarily originated at some time. Aside from God, nothing is self-caused. You hear what he's saying? This question of origin is the idea that all things have an origin except God. And the moment that we think of something with origin is the moment that we recognize we are not thinking of God. Because only God, only God is self-existent without origin. God revealed himself to this way, or in this way, when he he told Moses, as I read in uh, Exodus chapter 3, verse 14, that his name, that he would be known from generation to generation to generation, his name was, I am who I am. This morning, we're going to, to look at what this means, this idea of God as I am. I am who I am. And then we're going to look at from the story of Moses here in Exodus chapter 3 of his call of his encounter with God and then his call of what God was sending him to do for results for Moses but there're four results for all of humanity four results for us that come as a result of understanding who God is as I am who I am so if you have sermon notes you can they're in the bulletins if you want to fill in blanks you can do that Villains will be on the screen. So here's the first thought. And this is all about the origin of what it means. I am embodies self-existence. Again, God said to Moses in verse 14, I am who I am, or I will be who I will be. This is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. I am who I am is the ultimate statement and the ultimate name of self-existence. This is the name God says that he is to be remembered from generation to generation to generation. And I am who I am, I am, really is this declaration that God is absolutely independent of anyone. He is not dependent on anyone or anything. He exists because he himself alone is God. He's not the result of anything or anyone. God exists in and of himself. He has no origin. (laughs) He is simply God. Everything flows because he is God. 
Because he's God, he answers to absolutely no one. God is I am. The I am that I am. He is self-existent. In Revelation chapter 1, verse 8, he says it this way, I am the Alpha and the Omega. And Alpha is the first letter of the Greek alphabet. Omega is the last. So if he was speaking to us uh, English speakers, he would be saying, I am the A and the Z. I'm the beginning and the end. He says, he goes on to say, who is current, who was, and who is to come. The always existent and self-existent God. As Tozer says, this stands in stark opposition to everyone and everything else in all creation. Everything and everyone is dependent on something or someone for existence. But God is not. Yesterday... My family surprised me with an early birthday celebration. And as we were spending time together, my parents had joined in on it. And uh, we were making the joke. They said, Mark, thanks for, thanks for being alive. This is the reason that we're here today. And I kind of joked back. I said, no, thank you. <laughs> because if it wasn't for you, I wouldn't be here. But yet, if it wasn't ultimately for God, I wouldn't be here. But there is no one or nothing in all of creation that can say to God, if it wasn't for me, you wouldn't be here, God. God is the origin of everything. And yet he has no origin. He is the self-existent God. Now, if this is making your head hurt, good. It should make our head hurt. Because everything that we know in all of creation has an origin, has a beginning spot, and is existent, exists because of something else. But God is completely self-existent, having no origin, being completely existent because of himself. It's more than our human minds can comprehend, but it's something that we need to think through and to contemplate. Because it's outside of the realm of our experience. Tozer in the chapter on self-existence says this. He says that we would rather try to figure out how to bake a better mousetrap or make two blades of grass grow when there is one than think about the self-existence of God. Why? Because we can do something about that. We can work on how do you make a better mousetrap or how do you make two blades of grass grow where there is one. But we can't do anything And we have a hard time getting our minds around something and someone who has always existed. But yet he says, we need to wrestle with this thought. We need to think deeply about the self-existence of God. Because if we don't, we will have a low view of God. Because we will default to God has some kind of origin. God is existent because he's dependent on someone or something. Even to the point where we may begin to think God is dependent on us. And so... This idea, I am, embodies, embodies self-existence. So because he is the I am, because he is the I am, we can see four results that are going to lead us to worship, lead us to a high view of God, and lead us to right living 
It happened for Moses and it will happen for us as we look at his interaction with God. So here's the first result that we see. When we understand and we begin to reflect upon the I am who is self-existent. I am then reminds us that I am not. I am reminds us that I am not. The story begins in Exodus chapter 3, beginning in verse 1. It says, Now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian, and he led the flock to the far side of the desert and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. There the angel of the Lord appeared to him in flames of fire from within a bush. And Moses saw that though the bush was on fire, it did not burn up. So Moses thought, I'll go over there and see this strange sight, why the bush does not burn up. Some people would look at this, And would just say, well, that's kind of peculiar. Oh, well. But that's not Moses. Moses sees the strange sight of the angel of God causing this bush to be on fire, but yet not be consumed. And he says, I need to go see what all this is about. And so he goes. And it says, verse 4, when the Lord saw that he had gone over to look. And here's an important thing. Would God... Have spoken because it says God called to him from within the bush, Moses, Moses. We don't know for sure, but we understand this. When God has our attention, that is when he speaks. And sometimes we have a low view of God, or we don't hear from God, or we don't grow with God because we haven't paid attention. We've seen the things of God at work around us. We maybe come to church, we maybe have a Bible sitting on our desk, we maybe have opportunity to go into the prayer closet, but we don't. And if we don't, and we don't go to investigate who he is and see who he is and encounter, to go to encounter who he is, we will miss out on the times when God will do this, as he did to Moses. When the Lord saw that he had gone over, he called to him, Moses, Moses, and Moses said, here I am, here I am. Verse 5, do not come any closer, God said. Take off your sandals, for the place where you are standing is holy ground. And then he said, I'm the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And at this, Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. So Moses is minding his own business, and all this happens. God calls to him. And as he calls to him, he goes near to the bush. And as he comes near to the bush, God says, take off your sandals. It was a sign of humility because God says, you are standing on holy ground. Ground that is possessed and there is the presence of God. There is one who is greater than you, so take off your sandals. And so Moses, in a sign of humility, understanding the I am is in his presence, takes off his sandals in humility because he was standing on holy ground, because God was there. And after God begins to say and reveal who he is, Moses, we're told, hides his face. He hides his face probably both in reverence from God. If you truly meet someone who is greater than you, there is a sense of, I need to humble myself, take off the sandals he does, but he also lowers his head. It's a sign of respect, a sign of reverence uh, for the person that you're in the presence of. But as we'll see in a moment, there was probably also a sense of shame that he had because of sin that he had had committed previously. 
But Moses' encounter with the I am shows us the proper beginning response to God. He's the self-existent one. We are the created. He is the one who has no origin. We have a beginning. He is the creator. He is the I am. And it brings us to the understanding that I am not. Brothers and sisters, the, the root of all human, seek, uh, the root of all human sense, sinfulness is seeking to either be or to replace the I am with myself. That's the core of all human sinfulness. The I am, me trying to replace him or be him. Frank Sinatra, I believe, really captured this. You'll know the song when I quote the lyrics to you. He sang, and now the end is here. And so I face that final curtain. My friend, I'll make it clear. I'll state my case, my case of which I am certain. I've lived a life that's full. I traveled each and every highway. And more, much more. I did it, and I did it my way. The name of the song. Regrets, I've had a few, but then again, too few to mention. I did what I had to do. I saw it through without exemption. I planned each charted course, each careful step along the byway. And more, much, much more, I did it, and I did it my way. Yes, there were times, I'm sure you knew, when I bit off more than I could chew. But through it all, when there was doubt... I ate it up and I spit it out. I faced it all and I stood tall and I did it my way. And then you hear just this defiance kind of growing and it crescendos in this last verse. For what is a man? What has he got? If not himself, then he is not. Not to say the things that he truly feels And not the words of someone who kneels. Humility. Let the record show, I took all the blows and I did it my way. Do you hear it? Do you hear it embodied in that song, My Way? I am. I took it. I did it. I charted my course. I am. I'm not one who's going to kneel. I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it my way. This is the core. And and before we go and crucify Frank Sinatra, just understand that all of us at our core level understand and need to recognize that we have this in us, this desire, that even if we're not going to say to God, I am, we're still going to say at times, I'm going to do it my way. But when we encounter the God who is, I am who I am, as Moses did, it brings us to the understanding that I am not. And that's not a bad place to be. That's not a bad place to be. It just puts us in right relationship, right perspective of who God is and who I am. And it begins to then set us up for the second result that Moses had. That I am then is able to define who you are. I am defines who you are. In verse 6, 
He said this, then he said again, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. If you skip down to verse 15, it says, God also said to Moses, say to the Israelites, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever, the name by which I am to be remembered from generation to generation. And then verse 16, go assemble the elders of Israel and say to them, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob appeared to me and said, I've watched over you and have seen what's been done to you in Egypt. How many times does God say, I am the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob? How many times? I read them. How many? Three. Three times. Three times in conversation, he tells him, I'm the God of your fathers. I'm the God who is the covenant God with you. Why? Why? Because Moses, like all of us, to some degree, had a messed up identity. His identity was messed up. He didn't fully know who he was. He was born, if you read the first two chapters of Exodus, he was born to a Hebrew family, an Israelite family, in Egypt, at a time when Pharaoh, the king, was getting nervous that the Israelites, the Hebrews, were becoming so numerous that though they were an enslaved people, that they would rise up and could overthrow him. So he decided that every child, every male child that was born should be thrown into the Nile River and killed. And it was at this time that Moses was born. And so... Moses' mother sees how great of a child he is. He says, wow, this is, this, this, there's something about this child that's different. And so she builds a, a basket made out of reeds. And after so long, she can't keep him quiet and then cries out. And so she has this basket and she puts him down in the Nile River and he, she sends his sister down to watch. It just so happens that Pharaoh's daughter was in the river bathing with her attendants and the basket comes down the river and she says, what is that? And sends one of her attendants and her attendant brings it and it's this Hebrew child, it's Moses. And opportunistically, Moses' sister has been watching and she comes and she says, oh, I know somebody, a Hebrew woman who can nurse him and care for him. And Pharaoh's daughter says, that would be great. And so, Moses goes back to his mother and grows and is eventually weaned. And then Pharaoh's daughter takes him as her own and raises Moses as an Egyptian in the palace of Pharaoh. All the wealth, all the power, all the privilege that Pharaoh had, he came under the education, all of these things he came under. But one day as he grew, he looked out and he went out and he saw the Hebrews, his people. He knew he was a Hebrew. And he saw his people being oppressed. And he saw an Egyptian slave driver who was beating two Hebrews. And anger raised up in Moses. And he went, with no one looking, killed that Egyptian. And buried him in the sand. A few days later, those Hebrews that were being beat made it known that they knew what had happened. And so, in fear and with Pharaoh aware of what has happened, he flees to the desert. And he ends up meeting and caring for 
young Midianite woman helping them, protecting them. And he's introduced to their father, Jethro, who becomes his father-in-law. And for 40 years, he's in the desert and he's shepherding. His father-in-law became his father-in-law because Jethro gave his oldest daughter to Moses in marriage. And Moses had a child with his wife, Zipporah. And in chapter 2, verse 22, it says, Zipporah gave birth to a son, and Moses named him Gershom. Gershom means an alien there, saying, I have become an alien in a foreign land. Do you see what Moses is wrestling with? Here he is from birth, a Hebrew, raised as an Egyptian, kills an Egyptian, flees to Midian, has a Midianite wife, has a child who he names to be able to share how he's feeling. I'm an alien. I'm not at home. This isn't my place. And he fully doesn't know who he is. He has a confused identity. But God, these three times in this one conversation, drills into him who he is. He is a Hebrew descended from Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob who is encountering the I am and the covenant God of Israel of which he is a part. This would have been a huge defining moment for Moses. This is who you are as you come to know who I am. Friends, we get our identity messed up too. We get our identity messed up because things like our families, good and bad, our culture that we live in, the sins that we commit, even ourselves, and I'm going to do it my way, they begin to define who we are. But I'm, I'm here to tell you this morning that there is only one person who can rightfully and with power define who you are. And that is the I am. There's only one person. There's only one person. Not your past, not your family, not your culture, not yourself. Nothing can tell you who you are unless the great I am has told you. And friends, we need, we need encounters with the I am because the I am begins to speak and remind us that we are not, but begins to teach us and show us who we really are. And he does this through his son, Jesus. That when we come to the place where we recognize I am not, but that Jesus has come to make us who we were intended to be, that on the cross, he took our sin. In Christ, he then begins to define who we are. He says, you are chosen. He says, you are loved. He says, you are blameless. He says, you are holy. He says, you have a plan and a purpose for your life. He says, you have value. You're created in my image and my likeness. He says, this is who you are. Your sin does not define you. There is therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. This is who you are. And instead of allowing other people and other things and circumstances to define who we are, there's only one person who has the right and the ability to do that that will bring life to us, and that is the I am who I am. 
the one with no origin, the one who is self-existent, is the one who defines who all of us really are. And that's good news, isn't it? That is extremely good news. A proper understanding of I am gives a proper understanding of who you are. Which leads us to the third result. The third result is I am then is my rescuer. Verses 7 through 10, the Lord says, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I have heard them crying out because of their slave drivers, for I am concerned about their suffering. So I have come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them out of the land into a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey, the home of the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites. And now the cry of the Israelites has reached me, and I have seen the way the Egyptians are oppressing them. So now go, I'm sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. If you skip down to verse 16, he tells Moses, Go, assemble the elders of Israel, and say to them, The Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, appeared to me and said, I've watched over you, and have seen what has been done to you in Egypt, and I have promised to bring you out of your misery in Egypt into this land, a land flowing with milk and honey, the land belonging right now to these people. Verse 18, the elders of Israel will listen to you. Then you and the elders are to go to the king of Egypt and say to him, the Lord, the God of the Hebrews has met with us. Let's take a three-day journey into the desert to offer sacrifices to the Lord our God. But I know, God says, that the king of Egypt will not let you go unless a mighty hand compels him. So I will stretch out my hand and strike the Egyptians with all the wonders that I will perform among them. After that, he will let you go. And I will make the Egyptians favorably disposed toward this people. So that when you leave, you will not go empty-handed. Every woman is to ask her neighbor and any woman living in her house for articles of silver and gold and for clothing, which you will put on your sons and daughters, and so you will plunder the Egyptians. See, this comes from rescue. Our identity comes when we have been rescued by the I am. The Hebrew people had been enslaved for 400 years at this point in Egypt. And God comes to Moses. He says, I've I've seen my people in their suffering. And I've heard their cries. And I promise I will rescue you. And I will bring you into the land that I promised for you. A land that is flowing with milk and with honey. And I'm sending you, Moses, to be the one I'm going to use to rescue my people. Friends, it wasn't just the Egyptian or it wasn't just the Israelites in Egypt that need rescue. Every person on the face of this earth needs rescue. You and I may not be enslaved in Egypt, but every one of us was born enslaved to sin and enslaved to the effects of it. And so as God sent Moses to be used of him to rescue the Hebrews, the Israelites, God has done an even greater rescue work, and that is in sending his son Jesus 
to rescue us from the penalty of our sin. And not just from the penalty of our sin to get us to heaven one day, but to rescue us from all the ways that sin enslaves us, from all the ways it destroys us and destroys destroys the creation. We have a rescuer. We have a rescuer. And his name, his name is Jesus. And this Jesus, the Son of God, said to the religious leaders in his day, he said, before Abraham was, I am. And what, they got all mad at him because what they understood him to say was, I, Jesus, am also the I am. I am the pre-existent, always without origin, second person of the Trinity. I am the Son of God, sent to be the Savior, the rescuer of the world. And so you have the I am in the person of Jesus coming to be our rescuer on a cross. Nailed to a cross. To die in our place for the penalty that should be ours. Taking the wrath of God upon himself to not only allow forgiveness of our sins, that anyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved and rescued, but also to break every enslaving power of sin. Today on this first Sunday of the month that we celebrate communion, we just want to take a few moments now to give thanks to the Lord to take communion together. But before we do, we want to remember that old rugged cross where it was purchased. And we're going to sing the old rugged cross together first. And as you sing it, just just think and contemplate the fact that if the I am, the self-existent one, came in the person of Jesus, humbling himself and was willingly nailed to a cross so that rescue could come, that rescue could come. If standing is what will cause you to, to turn your focus and attention to the one who went to the old road cross, please stand. If it's just the opportunity to sit and just to sing and to reflect on the fact that the I am has come for rescue, come do that. You can sit however you choose to reflect and to declare this. And then we'll take communion together and then we have one last result to look at.
to the Father and the person of Jesus came to show us what the Father's like and to offer himself as a worthy sacrifice. Only the I am is able to rescue. He will use people, but only the I am is able to rescue. And he rescues through the person of Jesus. And so we honor Jesus in remembering what he did on the cross until the day he returns, he told us. You don't have to be perfect to come to this table. You don't have to have it all together to come to this table, so to speak, to eat this, the bread and the drink the cup. Simply have to have said, Jesus, you're my rescuer. <laughs> you are the I am, I am not. Only you are able to set things right in my life and only you are able to rescue me from my sin. Only you are able to rescue me from all the effects of sin in my life. And so even in our guilt and our shame and the failures that we have, we come and we say, Jesus, you're my rescuer. You're my rescuer. And so in communion, we declare that he is the rescuer and we declare that he is my rescuer. So on the night that Jesus was betrayed, if you would peel off that top layer take the bread on the night that Jesus was betrayed. He took bread and he broke it and he gave it to his disciples. And he said, this is my body that is broken or given for you. The I am coming in the form of a man giving his body on the cross, that old rugged cross, nailed, despised, rejected. And so we honor Jesus as the rescuer, as my rescuer, your rescuer this morning, our rescuer, as we eat the bread together. Let us eat. Jesus, we honor you. We honor you as the one who gave your body on that old rugged cross, despised and rejected. We honor you. If you appeal that second layer back, 
after supper, Jesus took the cup and he gave it to his disciples. And he said, this is my blood, which is given, which is offered for you for the forgiveness of your sins. So that as often as you eat the bread and then drink this cup, you do it in remembrance of me. The I am. Who on that old rugged cross, his blood was spilled and poured out for the forgiveness of our sins and for the breaking of the power of sin over our lives. Let's honor the I am who offered his blood for the forgiveness of our sin. Let us drink together. Jesus, we honor you. We glorify you as the I am who is also the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. We thank you that your work forgives us of our sin and it breaks the power of sin over us. And it's because of your work that all will be made right one day. We thank you. You are my rescuer. Thank you. And together we say thank you. You are our rescuer. We honor you, Jesus. I am. We honor you. In Jesus' name. And all God's people in Thanksgiving said? Amen. Amen. So there was one more result, and this is where we close this morning. There was one more result for Moses and one more result for us in this understanding that he would be used of God to rescue the I am negates our I can't. The I am negates our I can't. In verses 10 to 15, he says to Moses, so now go, I'm sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? And God said, I will be with you. And this will be the sign to you that it is I who have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you will worship God on this mountain. And Moses said to God, suppose I go to the Israelites and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you. And they ask me, what is his name? Then what shall I tell them? And again, I am who I am. I am has sent you. God also said, say to the Israelites, this is who I am. The God of your fathers, of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. I'm sending you. This is my name forever, the name by which I'll be remembered from generation to generation. Moses has lots of reasons why he can't. Why he can't be God's one to rescue. His identity says, who am I? The uncertainties that he has says, what will I tell them if they ask who you are? If you read on in the account in chapter 4, verse 1, his fears say, what if they don't listen to me or believe me? 
And in chapter 4, verse 10, his insecurities say, I'm not a good speaker. Like Moses, you may have a lot of reasons because God is sending those he rescues to be used of him to rescue others. He's the rescuer, but he sends his people to do it, to be his hands and feet. And you may have, like me, lots of reasons why I can't. You may, like Moses, have lots of reasons why I can't. Who am I? What am I going to say? What if they don't listen or believe me? I'm not a good speaker. I don't know the answer. And and who knows whatever wants. But the I am in Moses' life is the I am in our lives, and he negates every reason why I can't. He negates it in really two ways. One goes all the way back to the garden of Eden in Genesis 1, 26 to 28. And he says, in, God says, let us create in our image and in our likeness. Brothers and sisters, even though sin has wrecked us, we are still image bearers of God. And the I am has created us in his image and in his likeness. And so we are like him in that way. We're not God, but we are like him. Remember, I am not, he is the I am. And he's given us a mission. But the I am also tells Moses, that's one reason we're in his image and his light. But there's another reason that he tells Moses, I'm both sending you, I'm sending you. He gives him authority on his behalf. And he says, I will be with you. (laughs) The I am is with you. And the I am has given you his authority. Jesus, the I am, says all authority has been given to me, therefore go. You won't be on your own. Ultimately, it's the I am's work, but he is sending you with his authority. He is sending you with his power. He is sending you with his presence. And so every I can't that we can come up with really is countered in the fact that it's ultimately the I am's work and that the I am who is the always self-existent God says, I will send you and I will be with you. That's good news, isn't it? It's good news. And so the more we understand who he is as the I am who I am, the more we understand I'm not, the more he begins to then shape us in our identity and helps us to understand who we really are and pushes us this place of rescue. And rescue is an ongoing thing where he's continually shaping us and making us more like Jesus. And in that process, as he's doing all that, he says, forget the I can'ts because I am and I am with you. I am with you. Go. Go. And so with that, would you stand with me and just receive blessing over your life? Receive blessing. The I am, the one who is completely self-existent. The I am who I am. Who does, when we encounter him, remind us, I am not. Says, ah, but I've rescued you and this is who you are. May who he says you are be what rings loudest in your ears, what feeds your soul, what defines your life.
And may you know that you have been sent. Sent by the great I am who gives you all of his power and all of his authority and his very presence by his spirit as he goes. So go. Go in confidence. Go with the authority and the power of the I am over your life. And may he continue to do his powerful rescuing work in you and through you for his glory. Go in his peace. Amen.